just a few weeks, we will be releasing the 100th episode of Pickles and Vodka, and we could not be more excited about it. Yeah, and in honor of this milestone, we, we being your lovely co-hosts, want to make an extra special episode, but first, we have a favor to ask from you, you being the collective you that put up with us. The hot and spicy pickles themselves. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Basically, how pickles and vodka has changed your life, or at least made you smile. We want to know how you discovered the podcast, stuff we've made you think about, your favorite episodes or guests. Lauren, you don't count even though you're a former guest, because you're a co-host, <laughs> sorry. Um, topics you want to hear about in the future. So Lauren, if they want to tell us how awesome we are, how can they do that? You can go to anchor.fm slash pickles and vodka and click message. Or you can send us a DM on Instagram. And while you're at it, you should follow Pico Suave with Suave misspelled because my dog is awesome. Oh my awesome. God, stop. We don't have time for Pico <laughs> in this promo. I can never stop I hate to say Pico. it. I hate to say it. Okay, yes. <laughs> D- DM us on Instagram. It is at pickles and vodka podcast. All one word. And record as many one-minute voicemails as you want. Yes, leave us all the voicemails. Again, just what Pickles and Vodka has meant to you and any notes you have for us. So how long, Lauren, do they have to send in their thoughts? Because we love a deadline. Yes, and the way we figure it, our 100th episode is coming out on October 17th. So unless, you know, one of us has to go into witness protection, that gets delayed. Witness protection or the psych ward. (laughs) Or that. (laughs) You can send in the voicemails up to October 14th in order to be included. Yeah, you have until October 14th to send us your thoughts on the podcast for our 100 episode extravaganza. It's going to be so much fun. And we cannot wait to hear from all of you. Speaking of fun, should we get into the super fun episode? Oh, the actual episode, you mean? Yeah, that would probably be smart. (laughs) Um, Again, everyone, you can send in voicemails on our website, anchor.fm slash pickles and vodka, or you can DM us on Instagram at pickles and vodka podcast, and we'll play them on our 100th episode on October 17th. And we'll play this little promo before all the next episodes up to the 100th, so you have plenty of time to hear us and be annoyed. We're going to annoy you, but it'll be worth it. All right, here's the show. I tell stories, I feel like, often where I say it's funny to me, even though it's sad. Well, guess what, Lauren? Humor is a coping (laughs) mechanism. True, true, true. I feel like in a funky mood today. I don't know why. Well, good, because I don't know if I'd describe mine as funky, but I just feel like not the same yeah <laughs> this it doesn't feel like saturday morning usually does i'm just kind of like eh, same <laughs> have you been getting bad weather oh no we've had gorgeous weather oh good because i know a lot of people are getting oh. like, hit with the hurricane either the hurricane directly or like effects of the hurricane like we're in yeah. virginia and so we're not getting the full-on hurricane but like the power went out a few times last night and there's flooding and like our fence went down but you're on like nearer to a coast so that yeah. makes more sense you can uh, see the water from like a block yeah away, oh so. then yeah <laughs> so, uh, we're like the belly button lint of the country <laughs> just like <laughs> i've never heard it described as that way before <laughs> well i was gonna say the belly button but i was like that's kind of cute and i don't know if i think missouri is all that so cute. just on record on air you're saying that missouri is the belly button lint of the country got it <laughs> yep <laughs> St. Louis isn't bad. Maybe we're just like your navel piercing. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of sparkle. Yep, in the middle of that nasty. In the <laughs> middle of gun. that flat, flat expanse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a little pop. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. No. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello. This is an episode. Why am I saying it like this? just so you know kids this is an episode of a podcast this is either an episode or we're having an episode (laughs) i think the latter yeah um welcome to pickles and vodka the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations i'm christina and i'm lauren like we just discussed we're feeling a little bit out of it today but the show must go on because um we're professionals. Well, that and we don't have an excuse. When you have yeah. a podcast centered around being imperfect, you don't really have an excuse for when things are like extra imperfect. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. Like, I just felt kind of off mentally today, so I couldn't do my mental health podcast. Yeah, well, we joke, but like, that's literally something I've done before. Well, yeah, but 
for a podcast to be this old and not have 100 episodes yet like a lot of my favorite <laughs> podcasts are celebrating 100 and they've only been around for like half the time that pickles and vodka has i keep having yeah. to remind myself like, it's because you have mental health issues christina <laughs> sometimes you didn't always have an amazing co-host to help you <laughs> i shall pick up the slack when you fail uh, no oh yeah <laughs> we can only hope for as much in life no, but there's really no pressure. The great thing about this podcast is that people understand when things are going to shit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that makes it all better. Yeah. Last week was fun. Last <laughs> week was super fun. We went in without a plan, and I think it turned out pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we literally talked about what happens when things go awry, when there is no plan. Yes. Yeah. It got a little more serious than I thought it would. Like, I was listening back to it, and I was like, this is supposed to be a really funny episode, and then we were talking about, like, death and shit. That's true. We started, yeah, having to give, like, serious advice about, like, major, I don't know, like... Some major traumatic shit. That's the word I was looking for. I was going to say issues. I was like, it wasn't an issue. It was something that sucked, that happened. Yeah. And those (laughs) things are always happening. But yes. we deal. But at least we brought it back with what flavor vape we are. Oh my god, yeah. So <laughs> everyone, calm down. This episode will not be ending in a vape quiz, unfortunately. Or fortunately. Depending no, but if on you ever you have wondered what flavor vape you are and you haven't listened to last week, we have a lot of leads on that for you. Yes, uh, I think I was, in the first quiz, I was banana ice. And then in the second one, I think I was like sour apple. Or were you sour apple? Oh, I was just going to say, I remember I was sour apple. Yeah. I don't even remember one. what I was in the second quiz. Yeah, I don't remember what I was in the other one. Oh, well. <laughs> it was a time <laughs> and a half. Yes. But yeah, today we are going to be talking about another semi-serious topic uh, that mm-hmm. Lauren does not know about. Uh, it's kind of basic like it's something you've heard about before but I'm hoping to approach it in a fresh way okay. so do you have any other housekeeping things to get out of the way before we dive in I don't believe so I'm not sure where meatball is but he's being quiet so that's a good sign yeah same with my cats I, I just don't trust them it smells faintly like pee in here again and so I'm just like mm. looking around all shifty while this is happening well, earlier, Meatball was doing his new favorite thing of just hurling his body around the room as fast as he can. <laughs> and he did right into my computer tower. And I mean, this is a huge fucking tower. And he almost knocked it over. And I was going to knock him over the head. <laughs> he did. <laughs> well, glad it didn't come to that. Sounds like Just he's... kidding. I don't abuse my cat. I know. <laughs> I was like, ooh, should we say something? No. Yeah. <laughs> No, I I threaten my cats a lot, just like, you know, as a joke. I would never actually do anything. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we love our pets on this show. So I'm ready. Okay, sorry. Uh, like I said, I'm like a little out of it today, but I'm really excited <laughs> about the topic, which is coping mechanisms. Ooh. So. I like this already. <laughs> right? So we all know what coping mechanisms are for the most part. But the reason I chose this topic is because I was at a show on Tuesday night. I was at a show Mm -hmm. with my partner and I wasn't really feeling it. I was really anxious. I did not want to be in the building. I went in to the bathroom and like put a mask on because I was feeling anxious. And then I came out and this old dude was like, you can't hide up pretty. And I felt really uncomfortable. And so like halfway through the opening band, I was like, can we just go outside and sit by ourselves (laughs) so we were just sitting outside and I was on my phone and I was like I can't think of a topic for this week's episode (laughs) and I just feel really anxious right now and like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and uh Brett was like well you could do an episode about how you're coping like in this moment or like what coping mechanisms even accomplish Mm -hmm. because for me personally I feel like the word coping mechanism can be used as a negative thing. Oh, yeah. That was actually, when you said coping mechanisms, that's the first thing I thought of is like all the terrible coping mechanisms I've had. Exactly. So like I was sitting in the parking lot of this venue just doing a deep dive on my phone into coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms in preparation for this episode. And I think, first of all, we need to define what it is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. So according to Wikipedia... Coping. You love this kind of stuff. <laughs> so I hope you have a notepad because we're going to go to school today. Woo! I'm ready. All right. So coping 
refers to conscious strategies used to reduce unpleasant emotions. Pretty straightforward, right? Mm -hmm. They can be cognitions or behaviors, meaning thoughts Mm -hmm. or actions, and can be individual or social. Um, So we're all familiar with uh, individual coping mechanisms, stuff that you do as an individual to deal with unpleasant shit. Um, But I thought it was interesting how they used social as a category. Mm -hmm. So like, um, for instance, a coping mechanism that we as a society have developed since COVID even is like, I think about like the opioid epidemic for an example. Like I think Mm -hmm. since COVID happened and like Mm. with the downfall of healthcare in this country, not that it has just been happening since COVID, but Mm -hmm. um, there's been an increase in dependence on substances to cope with this time in history. And so that's an example of a societal coping mechanism. The first thing I thought of, and I'm not sure if it fits quite as well, when you said social was church. Yeah, I mean, ooh, we might offend some <laughs> religious listeners again. And by that, I mean my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's, well, well, that, that's I, a I wasn't question. Saying that, yeah, I mean, I wasn't saying that to offend. I was, I mean, it's not necessarily how I feel, but I know like my mom would very much feel like if she felt like she was struggling, then for her, her church community going to church would actually feel like coping. Like, yeah, it doesn't always have to be bad because just because I said I have negative coping mechanisms and then I said church. (laughs) This is a great example of why I wanted to make this episode and like have this conversation with you because Mm -hmm. you say like, oh, people go to church as a coping mechanism and immediately my brain, because I've gone through religious trauma, is like, yeah, they're using it as a crutch. It's bad. (laughs) But I'm like, no, some people actually do use that as a healthy coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the next note I have, which is the different okay. types of coping mechanisms. So there's... oh oh, back back to your definition though. I oh, did yes. have I did have one other thing. It tripped me up that the word conscious was in there because I do feel like people like unconsciously use things to cope. Mm-hmm. Totally, and that's I noticed the absence of the word unconscious as well. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of these quote-unquote unhealthy coping me- mechanisms mm-hmm. that we do, we don't do intentionally. And maybe eventually you do, but usually, like somebody who self-harms, I mm-hmm. don't know very many people that that's like the very first thing they thought is like, today is so difficult and I can't get through it, but maybe if I burn myself, then I can. It's usually like yeah. a reaction, and maybe you realize later, like, oh, this is how I cope with shit, and yeah, well, it's not great, but... <laughs> that's an amazing point, and I do address it. I'm going to be playing um, a clip from an earlier episode at some point. I was going to save it to the end, but we might want to play it earlier because this is... Okay. <laughs> You're hitting every nail on the head. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so... I'm a good student. <laughs> so, coping mechanisms p- can be adaptive or maladaptive. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, so what do you think, Lauren, is the difference between adaptive coping mechanisms and maladaptive coping mechanisms? Um, It's not a trick question. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> No, I just, <laughs> yeah, I feel like adaptive is actually like going out with like a positive intent, like trying to do something where maladaptive, I feel like is often putting yourself just in a different bad spot to get out of your bad spot. Yeah. And sometimes you don't really have a choice, you know? Absolutely. Like sometimes you're just doing what you need to do to survive. Yeah. Because another thing I, I said putting you in a different, but I, I know a lot of times a maladaptive coping mechanism would be like... I'm putting myself in a bad spot, but it's a much less bad spot than if I didn't use this. Exactly. So before we continue to get into coping mechanisms and like personal examples of coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. I want to play a clip from an episode I put out in 2020. Okay. Um, It was right after the pandemic had... No one needed anything to cope with then. (laughs) Right? (laughs) What could I possibly be coping with back then? It was so ideal that time. Well, okay. So the link to the clip is on Trello. Uh, Uh While you're pulling it up, I'll talk a little bit about what was going on with me at the time. So the podcast had been taking a mental health hiatus. I wasn't doing very well mentally. My bulimia was getting way worse. Uh, We were in the midst of a pandemic. I had Mm -hmm. lost my job. I had just gone through a breakup. And so I had just like literally broken up with this person the week before making this episode, which is uh, number 38, (laughs) 38 and a half. So it's technically a mini-sode. But the episode is called Return from Hiatus. 
And so I just tell people like what I've been up to and um, how badly I've been doing. And we talk about coping mechanisms because um, the pickle poll in that episode was how do you deal with seasonal affective disorder? Because at the time, like it was Mm, in mm -hmm. the middle of winter. Yep. And so while reading the answers to that pickle poll, like some of them were actual good advice, like, you know, light a candle, go on a walk, stuff like that. But then some of the answers came off humorous. But when you really dig into them, they start a more serious conversation. So like someone put binging and purging. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that that was their answer because it's honest. Mm -hmm. And it sparked this whole discussion on like coping mechanisms that are bad are still coping mechanisms, you know? Yes. I mean, we have both, you know, been to treatment for eating disorders. And I feel like that's something that I heard a lot. Yeah. It was the first time I'd heard it and very much opened up my mind, you know, where people say like, okay, but you know, like, what has it done for you? And you realize like, you have to kind of like, almost like thank it and be like, thank you for getting me through this. Now go away. Yep. In fact, in that episode, literally in that episode, I I talked about writing um, a thank you list to my bulimia for all the things Mm -hmm. it has done for me. But then I also wrote a fuck you list afterward for all the things. And it was a really good exercise. But Uh um, we'll play this clip because it'll lead right into the next part of the episode. So let me know when you're ready. Okay. One thing that my therapist brought to my attention that has kind of blown my mind is that these coping methods that we've developed that are obviously toxic like bulimia or addiction they didn't just come out of nowhere like at some point we were so desperate that we created those coping methods and as problematic as they can be, they have helped us survive to where we are today. I say that, you know, take that with a grain of salt, obviously, like, I don't want to enable anyone here. But the point that I'm trying to make is that you don't need to beat yourself up for being sick, because your subconscious did that in a moment of need. And it helps you cope. You know, maybe maybe it hasn't been helping you cope recently, but when you first started doing it, you were just trying to survive, whether it was consciously or not. All no, right. that's it. Okay. <laughs> so literally what we were just talking about, right? Yeah, it's like that just kind of like summarizes everything we've just mm-hmm. said. <laughs> it's really good. The one amendment I might want to make to that statement two years mm-hmm. ago is like the use of the word sick. Because yeah. I don't think having coping mechanisms necessarily makes you sick. It's just a oh, human no. thing to do. That's I felt like you were maybe like relating to your specific situation. Yeah. Like in my case, the coping mechanisms that I had been using had taken on a life of their own, as they so often do. And my life was kind of spiraling out of control. And so I think in that moment, I was just telling myself, you don't, yeah. you're not sick for relying so heavily on these coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. But this leads into the topic of early coping mechanisms, which I really Uh wanted to talk to you about. Ooh, I like this too. (laughs) Lauren, what are some of the earliest coping mechanisms that you remember? Um, Like you're a kid, you go through something unpleasant. It could be something like, Um, you know, cuddling a blanket or making a a pillow fort for yourself or I, I don't know. I think... I liked to, it's kind of like this combination of like obvious things. I don't know how to like really describe like the feeling that I was necessarily going for, but I mean, it's kind of like a long time ago. Yeah. But I mean, I, I I can almost kind of pull it up. I mean, it's, it was like being alone, but feeling safe and feeling kind of, you know, like the, the safe feeling you'd feel as a little kid, if you just kind of like wedged yourself into a tiny little spot, like behind a couch or something like that, you know, I, I would always do something like that. Yeah, like hide basically and be as contained as I could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think now that I've, you know, analyzed it decades later, I think I was trying to escape reality. Uh, and as I mm-hmm. got older, my methods got more sophisticated. Because another thing I thought of, yeah, right, was um, I wouldn't necessarily say like an imaginary friend, but just kind of like an imaginary life. Yeah. Oh my God. This is going to. 
Sorry, I was vaping. You caught me mid-vape. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> that's okay. This is going to tie in really well with our palate cleanser. Cool. But, um, that's neither here nor there. One of the things I specifically remember, and I actually wrote a line about it in, in a poem that I wrote um, in college. Oh, my God. Um, was, well, when, when I was young, then I could see the water pretty much from my place. You know, it was Lake Huron. It wasn't an ocean, but still... All the Might beaches. as well have been. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on the beach still as a kid. <laughs> I remember probably being like at most five, four or five. And I was on, on the beach and there was, you know, no one in my family. We were pretty separate in age and there was like no one for me to play with or anything like that. So I just looked around and saw all the like little shells washed up on the beach. And I imagined that, I mean, you know, I was a little little girl like a little girl fluffy thing so I'm sure they were kind of like fairies or something like that but like the spirit of one came out of each shell and they were all like my friends hanging out with me on the beach (laughs) dude that's such a normal thing for kids to do especially for Mm -hmm. kids who might for whatever reason they don't have as many friends like I was super shy but also I was homeschooled and didn't we were in the military so we moved around a lot and I just didn't have a lot of friends it's so interesting how kids will take inanimate objects like seashells and mm-hmm. turn them into, you know, company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, like these things became your company. Like I used to do that with spoons. I used to feel bad if I picked one spoon over the other. Oh. And I was just like, dude, why why did I do that? And yeah, and I feel like I liked the, the things like I did where it's like you you can be surrounded by several and it's just like, Look, I'm just in the middle of all my friends. <laughs> exactly. I did want to say really quick, though, on this, too, just because it amuses me. Um, I also actually wrote a song for our band, which is my favorite song for our band, about the stories I heard about my brother having two imaginary friends when he was a kid. Oh, my God. Because cause we lived in the middle. We lived in the middle of like 40 acres of woods. We had a horse farm on the other side of the street and no neighbors anywhere nearby. And our rule was always growing up that you could play in the woods as long as you could still see the house. Mm. That's how far we could go when we were like little, little kids. But apparently my brother once um, just kept going and... I want to say he like came out the other side. So like I said, like we have a lot of woods. So to come out at the next neighbors, he was walking pretty far. Yeah. But he he had these two imaginary friends. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys, if I get your names wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were Jimmy and Kevin. Jimmy and Kevin, all right. <laughs> yeah, and my mom, you know, like when she who was missing, she was super worried. And then like the neighbor like brought him back when he came over there, and he said like, "Mom, Jimmy said it was okay." <laughs> <laughs> Just curious, does your brother have any uh, mental health issues these days? Nothing that I know of. He's always been pretty much having it all together. I sometimes felt inadequate <laughs> as the mm. one that didn't always. <laughs> Do you remember feeling like that from a very early age? No, I, cause I was the, the youngest. So, you know, I was probably like the baby and I feel like, I don't know, it happens a lot that the parent of the same sex somehow kind of has a like special relationship. Yeah. <laughs> more so and, like not saying like they have a favorite, but you it know, it happens I, that way sometimes for sure. Yeah. But my, my dad was the one that always like went out and worked in usually worked pretty late and my mom was stay-at-home mom the whole time we were growing up so I'm sure you know especially she gave my brother his time he's six years older he was the only kid for a long time oh yeah that's a long age yeah so you know then when I came around it's like oh my gosh I get to do girl things with my little girl (laughs) so that's what I I was like oh yeah I felt like the shit when I was little (laughs) nice I was the oldest of seven on the other hand and so my parents didn't really do this intentionally but I did kind of become a secondary mother or at least like a secondary mm-hmm. parent like I took care of those kids and I think I didn't get to feel like a child in the way a lot of my peers did yeah and I can so see that. like I used to escape like when it was a really early age it was like going in the closet with my stuffed animals and just closing mm-hmm. the door and just feeling safe and then of course when I got older it was like self-harm and just having mm-hmm. something of my own 
that promised alone time. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Alone time is really hard to find when you have such a big I family. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anything that I could possibly find that was just mine was precious to me. And unfortunately, those things ended up being not so healthy. Yeah. So do you remember, like, at what point your coping mechanisms started taking a turn for the more maladaptive? My guess would be junior high. I mean, surprise, surprise. But (laughs) I was thinking of it more specifically than just like junior high is hell. And we all know this in relation to you saying like you had a hard time being able to find your alone time where I always felt like the opposite. And I think the reason, you know, like I said, how I grew up, I wasn't around people. And then we only had one car. We were we were a pretty poor family, as yeah. I believe we've connected on before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I don't live near a bunch of children that I can easily like walk to their house and play with them, then, you know, my mom doesn't have a car during the day and yeah. we can't get places that easily. So, yeah, so I was pretty alone as a kid. And um, and then when we moved, like the rest of elementary school, I did go to a very small Catholic elementary school and you know, only have like 15 kids in my class or something like that. So I never had like the big groups of friends and anything like that. And I feel like I always just had felt alone and lonely. And I feel like that's why junior high kind of like hit hard because I did not have a good entrance to junior high. You know, I was picked on. I was the weird girl that came from this little Catholic school instead of the big elementary schools. So nobody knew me and nobody wanted to. But I think leading up to it, like knowing like, oh, I'm going to be going to like this big school and there's going to be like lots of kids my age and I can have lots of friends like I've always wanted. And then it it just was not that. I think that's what hit the hardest. It's like not just that I was still alone, but that I was really thinking I wasn't going to be. And then I was more than ever. I was just like, fuck, life sucks. Yeah. Disappointment can be a huge trigger. And I I feel like I've been disappointed a lot in my life, whether Mm -hmm. it's me disappointing myself or just the world disappointing me. Mm -hmm. Because when you're a kid, (laughs) life is painted in a generally positive picture, I think. You know, granted that you are in a healthy or home. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not like this for everybody, but I think most kids think life is going to be pretty okay for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, and then when it's not, you're like, okay, I did something wrong, or the world is just an unsafe place. Yeah, it's like what whatever age you kind of are hit with the reality that it's like, even if you do things right, sometimes the world's just gonna say, hey, <laughs> nice plans, but no. Exactly. The conversation at this point can be pretty freeform. Now that like all the establishing stuff is <laughs> yes. out of the way, uh, we can just like get down and dirty with coping mechanisms. Sure. Some of the questions that I was writing down were like, can you trace your coping mechanisms to a particular source, which we kind of talked about. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes you can't. Like, I know some kids have, like, traumatic shit happen to them, and, of course, like, we have been traumatized in our own ways, but that's not always the case. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, like, a lingering feeling, like, the disappointment that we both talked about. I I mean, the older you get, too, like, I'm 30 or 42, like, you know, childhood is kind of blurry. (laughs) Exactly. When I try to remember, like, when exactly did this happen? It's kind of like... Well, I know it was not the case when I was five and it was when I was 15. Exactly. Somewhere in there. Yeah. (laughs) So like, how do we even come up with these? Another question I wrote was like, when do you remember your coping mechanisms crossing a line? Mm -hmm. For me, I had always kind of been prone to daydreaming. Like you talked Mm -hmm. about that too. Just like imagining a different life where... Like I had friends and I didn't have so many rules and I, you know, was more like a quote unquote normal kid. And I remember the time that that crossed over into unhealthy territory. Hey friends, future Christina here. Just as a content warning, we are about to start talking about self-harm in some detail. So if you'd rather not hear that, no worries. Just skip ahead a few minutes and keep enjoying the show. All right, back to the episode. We were at this like Christian conference. Uh, mm-hmm. I was about 15. <laughs> Best age ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and they were talking about authority. 
if you've been raised in certain sects of Christianity, there's this analogy of the authority umbrella. And it's like, there's four umbrellas, right? There's like the overarching umbrella that is supposed to represent the church. And mm-hmm. then under that, there's the the husband, and then oh, so boy. he's sheltered by <laughs> the church, and then under him is the wife, and she's yep. sheltered by the husband, and then yes. under her is are the kids, and mm-hmm. they are supposed to just not stray out from under the umbrella of authority, or bad shit will happen. And I was listening to this and just feeling super frustrated and just wanting to retreat into my head, but it was super crowded. And like I couldn't. And so I remember just like using my ballpoint pen <laughs> mm-hmm. and starting to just like scratch my wrist with it. And that's like the first time mm-hmm. I ever self-harmed. I'll put a trigger warning mm-hmm. at the beginning of this too. So good. Cause I have also a, a beginning self-harm story that I was hoping to tell at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's the first time I remember it crossing a line into like, oh shit, this is no longer just in my head. Like this is something I have done. And I remember at that point thinking like, okay, like this is just something I do now. Because, like, what other choice yeah. did I have? I can tell you're mm-hmm. relating a lot to this story, so I want to hear, like, your experiences, too. <laughs> I mean, my my thing on self-harm is totally a, a, a different tangent, but <laughs> also related because it is a self-harm thing. And kind of started, I feel like, the same way. Like, it was just, um, it was just feeling, yeah, I was also in high school, probably 15, and <laughs> feeling similar of just, I, I can't make my situation any better i'm powerless and yeah and for me it was the clip on a pen i just bent it until i broke it off and the same thing yeah just kind of you know like ran it over and made some scratches in my skin until it felt then it was just kind of like that i was obviously doing something really fucked up if i got to the point where i like saw blood and i mean it's like a drop of blood i wasn't (laughs) You well, know? yeah, but at that just, point, but still, it was like, yeah, I yeah. dug right through my skin. Yeah, and it's kind of like, okay, I tell stories. I feel like often where I say it's funny to me, even though it's sad. Well, that's guess what, what Lauren? Humor is a coping <laughs> mechanism. True, true, true. I do but, that too. Um, I laugh a lot at this fucked up shit. I mean, yeah. that's, we do it on the podcast all the time because, exactly. that, like, what else are you supposed to do sometimes? And for me, I don't feel like that. I'm getting so off topic. Where's my tangent button? <laughs> I, know I don't have it yet. <laughs> it's okay. We can, until then we can just continue to tell the listeners every five minutes that we're going off topic. <laughs> right. I do want to get back to my story, but for, for me, um, I do feel like the laughing about it is actually a positive coping mechanism because if I don't, then I feel like I would just keep going down the spiral of thinking about this and mm-hmm. yeah, landing myself in a bad place. That ties into the whole concept of harm reduction, which I also wanted to get into, which as the podcast listeners know is something I'm passionate about is that like yes. sometimes you do have to choose between two maladaptive coping mm-hmm. mechanisms or or at least two coping mechanisms that like aren't your first choice yeah um, but i would consider that a positive if you pick the lesser of the two or you know the lesser absolutely the, the one that hurts you the least yeah sometimes you have to keep yourself as safe as you can but, yeah <laughs> but go, keeping yourself go safe. back to your story yes okay so so yes yeah, so so that's what i did and you know and i think as a silly teenager sometimes I told myself the reason that I was going back and doing this is saying like now I know if I ever have to kill myself I can because oh my God. You know, I managed to like draw a few drops of blood from you know, cutting my wrist. Do you think wrist. that doing that was empowering in the moment? Oh absolutely and that is the best question to lead towards the resolution of it which is that, yes, you know, I do this and I, I'm sure it felt more dramatic. And so then, as, as we like to remind everyone, every episode, I'm old. So, <laughs> so, but that means like when I was 15 or 16, then things like AOL were just getting started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were just starting to have any sort of like internet in the house. And especially my family having less money, it took us a little longer to get up to speed there. So I want to say that I had actually started college, that it might have been like the first weekend I came home and I was 18 then and maybe had done this kind of stuff less, but throughout high school still off and on. And I came across, you know, I was was sitting downstairs. I remember in, in our little like office room and everyone else, it's late night. Everyone else is already like asleep and I'm just like playing on the computer and 
I somehow came across this article. Their focus was some musician who was saying, you know, like, I've hidden this so much and this is something that I've done. And, you know, of course, this is before they realized all these things could be harmful to people. Mm -hmm. And they have like pictures like of his all the scars all up and down his arm. Oh, the pictures. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great segue into so many other topics. I read the article, though, and like he's trying to I, I think was trying to kind of like put this out there just to let people know and then reading statistics about how many people do this and all this stuff and I know that when I was doing this stuff in high school especially because I knew that I was mainly doing it just to feel whatever control or feel whatever response I was never doing it like actually to kill myself yeah. so that's why it felt different and I was just kind of like anyone else that's like cutting up their arms like this like they're probably doing it only like as a suicide method and I'm just like I'm just doing it because I'm fucked up I'm probably the mm -hmm. only person that is fucked up like this like yeah. I can't imagine anybody else in the world is doing this so the funny part is I basically never did it again after that article because I read that and my brain was just like what tons of people do this <laughs> I'm <Fuck> out that <laughs> I'll find something else <laughs> oh my god but that's being honest Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of had a different experience with the internet, which I'm so happy you brought that up because talk about a, a coping mechanism uh -huh. <laughs> that like, how do you even label that? Because on one hand, the internet can be incredibly powerful and helpful. Like you can find others like you and you can find mm -hmm. support. Um, that's how we met. Like that's how many of my yeah. podcast <laughs> guests like in the past came to be on here is that I met them online and like you know, we both know what an incredible asset an online community can be. But also, mm -hmm. when I was like a teenager, I would go on Tumblr and look up pictures of people's scars and mm -hmm. like look up those gory images and just let it trigger myself even more. And I saw that other people were doing it and I kind of took that as a comfort. Like, okay, I'm not the yeah. only one. This is something that I can do, at least for now, until my situation improves. That's what I always told myself. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting that we have such different experiences with the internet. Yeah, though, I wouldn't say so, because I will say, like, for that specific thing that I was using to cope at that time, then yes, I, I, I that's almost why it's funny to me, is because, like, that was the one time oh, that just had such a visceral reaction of... <laughs> Well, I don't want to, I don't want to do terrible things to myself if I'm not the only one. <laughs> I also love imagining you just like not knowing that people, other people self-harmed. I like, know. I'm the only one. Let's go. Again, like, I mean, part of it, yeah, I think is like the young brain that was stupid to that idea that I was that, that special. <laughs> yeah. Everyone thinks they're the first person to do something. Yeah, this is before, you know, I was adult and had heard things like, as soon as you speak a fetish, it exists, mm -hmm. and 50 people are doing it. Yes! But that brings me to the next conversation I wanted to have, which is, how do your coping mechanisms warp and change over the years? Like, have you traded coping mechanisms for each other? I know we both have. Yeah, and so I of wanted course, to ask of course, you of course. about that. And that's where I was thinking, like, based on what you were just saying, I feel like some of the other ones, I felt the same way, yeah, that I found, like, the community. And sometimes I would, again, feel, like, fucked up, like, I must be the only one doing this. And when I'd hear other people, then it just felt like, oh, thank God. I really was afraid that I was, like, so far gone that I'd come up with a brand new way to... Like, there's nothing new under the sun, you know? People have mm -hmm. been coping since there were people. yeah. So, like, I've come to the point now where I see other people coping the way I have in the past, and mm -hmm. it makes me sad, yeah. and it makes me, like, want to try to make new coping mechanisms that won't hurt as much, because I don't want to be in the same place 10 years from now, or even, like, one year from now, just doing the mm -hmm. same old shit. And, like, since I moved to Virginia, I have been adjusting my coping mechanisms, but, you know, I'm not yeah. perfect, as we know. Yeah, it's, it's not a, like, complete 180. You can just be, like... Well, like I was with cutting. Yeah. <laughs> but usually you can't just be like, boop, boop, okay. Yeah. It, sometimes when you do co uh, trade coping mechanisms, it's not a conscious decision. It's just you lose one and you're exactly. and you freak out. You're like, shit, how am I going to cope now? And you just latch like, on to the next thing. Yeah. You're like, I still need to be able to cope with things. So. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times the next one isn't good either. But I know that some coping mechanisms stick around for a long ass time. 
Uh, and I know for you, like your eating issues have been that mm-hmm. way. Like, have you noticed them changing over the years or like how has your relationship with it and like your feelings toward it changed over the years is what I'm curious about. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because that's all I've been thinking about for the past <laughs> five minutes as we're talking. Yes. But yeah, for the longest time, and I believe this is why I could go under the radar for decades, really, yeah. is that the main way it manifested for me, I would say, yeah, for the most, the first like 15 years at least, is basically binging and purging, except my purging was starving in between. Mm-hmm. So it just creates like the the perfect storm of being able to go unnoticed because mm-hmm. people still see you eat. You still say it's about the same weight because mm-hmm. you're just kind of going a little back and forth and you're not doing any purging activity that people can immediately see as like this, this is having a bad effect on your health. This is not good. If I catch you doing this, mm-hmm. this is something people shouldn't be doing. It's kind of like my purging was just not eating for a while everybody does that every night when they go to sleep so that's the thing what you might use to cope in a maladaptive way some people just do for fun question Mm -hmm. mark (laughs) like yeah it can really go under the radar and sometimes you don't even realize it's harming you until it's too late but you know i feel like we're so self-aware that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes it wasn't I mean and I say that like not as a good thing like we're too self-aware like I've always known yeah. what I was doing is fucking me up I just never mm-hmm. thought I could have access to anything else right <laughs> it was just too much work and that's like another thing what earlier when I said you crossed a line with a coping mechanism I mean like it's something that you've been done doing for a while and maybe you've been slipping under the radar but then you cross a line at some point where you realize oh, this yeah. is not sustainable. And I've talked about moments I've had like that on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. And I think I've gotten into some a little bit specifically, but I'd say in a more general sense. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't want to say like crossing the line when I realized that it wasn't anything like good for me or a positive endeavor because I was like you. I was like, I never thought like the eating disorder was like good. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I, yeah, I was... <laughs> But I mean, like, I was always aware what it was. I was never like, no, I'm just dieting and healthy like mm-hmm. other people do. You know, I, like I was I never had that those like rose colored glasses on. But I do feel like even as it kind of got worse and I could see things like other effects like, oh, this is probably keeping me like more socially isolated and things like that. Yeah. I think I still felt like it still didn't feel like crossing a line because I still felt like it's not the best, but you know, it's, it's what I need to get through. I can keep it under control. And so I feel like basically the line crossing point was when I started abusing laxatives, which wasn't until like I was 35. Yeah. But that just got so out of control and it was so terrible (laughs) that I was like, that was really where it's just kind of like at at that point I never, because again, it was pre- anyone saying that I need to like go to some sort of treatment so I definitely never thought that would happen so that that was the point where like I was really getting deep in that addiction I was just like all right I can't get out of it so I guess this is just eventually going to be how I die (laughs) yeah that I remember coming to that conclusion so many times Mm -hmm. I talked to my brother Andrew about this um Mm -hmm. I've, I've been meaning to mention him before because he listens to every episode he's a big fan of you uh and he always gives really helpful feedback so like Mm -hmm. he wants us to make more episodes uh where we talk about men's mental health for instance um which you know obviously we don't have experience in as much so if you listen to this and you're a dude hit (laughs) us up um but he used as an example of his coping mechanism, uh, gaming. And that's oh, yeah. a great example of something that can, it's not inherently harmful. Like right. obviously a lot of people game to let off steam or to, you know, it's a hobby. But for him, he started doing it so much. It was like he was putting off other things to game. And he started realizing mm-hmm. once it was like harming his life more than helping it, that's when it became a toxic coping mechanism. And I think that's an interesting point. Like, are you able to identify when a coping mechanism's, uh, when a coping mechanism, Jesus, we're saying this word too much, (laughs) when it becomes harmful. And I think one good like litmus test is just asking yourself, like, 
is this bringing any sort of value to my life? Like whether that's just feeling good or um, otherwise. Yeah. And another one I think of in that same vein is shopping. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. If you're someone that denies yourself things all the time, then saying like, wow, I'm going to actually allow myself to buy something nice. I'm like, mm-hmm. then shopping is a good thing. But yeah, obviously when you can like barely pay your bills and your place is getting cluttered up with junk that you don't even use. then mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it can switch to harmful super fast. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it changes multiple times over the course Mm -hmm. of months and so like how do you even know it it takes a lot of like looking at your habits and just knowing yourself like what's toxic to me might not be toxic for someone else Um, right I mean alcohol is a classic example like so many people are able to drink in a healthy-ish manner or like and so many people are not (laughs) exactly yeah yeah like I, I remember just being able to drink a few glasses of wine with a friend after a hard day and like that was great but then there came a point where like I was drinking when I had any sort of day like good or bad it was just like the first thing I reached for and then I was like okay this is hurting my life more than it's helping it at this point uh, mm-hmm. didn't stop there <laughs> like, it, it's so hard what do you even do once you realize that it's bad for you yeah I don't feel like I have had like the textbook definition of like addiction to alcohol but I know there's times where I've felt like it has more control over me than I would like yeah and it does just kind of yeah like go back and forth I know like something I don't know maybe like five or so years ago I kind of had to (laughs) like remind myself because I'd I'd feel like if I'm opening up another drink and you know like okay this is gonna be the last one of the night if I wasn't feeling it after, you know, like two sips or something that I was like, okay, but this is the last one. I felt like I had to force myself to finish it because I opened it. And I finally realized I was just like, once you're not feeling it, just stop. But like, what if you can't? Oh, absolutely. But that's why I said I'm like, I've been at different, like more healthy, less healthy. So like once I was able to just say like, wow, I I don't feel like drinking anymore. So I guess I pour the rest out versus saying like, I know I got to finish it because it's here. (laughs) I had kind of a hot take about coping mechanisms (laughs) while I was Mm -hmm. making notes for this episode. So obviously the question that we need to answer or that like we're asking ourselves is like, how do you quit a bad coping mechanism and replace it with something else? And sometimes like it's not willpower. In fact, I would argue like willpower doesn't have a lot to do with it. Because we know we're not supposed to do these things, but like we do them anyway. Um, yeah. I would argue that the most important thing is just time, like taking time to establish new habits because you that can't be done overnight, you know? No. And so no. I think, I, I was thinking like, how the fuck did I establish new habits? <laughs> and I think part of it was just unfortunately being in treatment, being forced to just rack up the days, not doing the bad stuff. That is true. <laughs> so what if like treatment is just taking time to establish new coping mechanisms? Like what if that is the most, like, is that the secret? I mean, I believe that actually is one of the main positives that people kind of put out mm-hmm. as a reason to go to treatment is part of it is just trying to take you away from everything that Mm-hmm. that caused this in the first place and I hate that some people like myself and yourself included like I hate that we had to get to that point because mm-hmm. obviously not everyone can get to treatment like it's expensive right right uh, you don't always have access to the kind of treatment you need you can't always just pick up and leave your life yeah <laughs> I remember thinking okay I'm literally just sitting here coloring every day and not throwing up <laughs> what's saying I can't do that on my own but I think if if I'm being honest with myself like I wouldn't have been able to do it on my own and that's what's so scary yeah and I mean I'm, I'm thinking yeah of, it's not even always um money like obviously that's a big detractor but I was just thinking like I I like my animals better than than human children I think yes. <laughs> you know I think they're better I would rather have them but Same. I can still understand, like, the difference of what if Pico and Meatball were two human kids with really weird names. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just here alone, the only person that is taking care of their needs. And suddenly, yeah, I had to go away for a couple months then. Yeah. I can't imagine saying, like, can you watch my child for three months, please, Dude, friend? Yeah. Yeah. And I have so much respect for people with kids and more responsibilities mm-hmm. than I have. Who and a lot of times that. if they have kids, they have a spouse, but you don't mm-hmm. necessarily. Exactly. And if you don't, wow. How do you, how do you do that? 
<laughs> How do you do that? Like, I don't know. I mean, we don't have a really advice on this podcast. I think when I did realize, like, maybe it is just like taking time to establish new coping mechanisms, but you don't just need time. Like, you do need ideas. Yeah. And so I was doing some research, like, how the fuck do you establish coping mechanisms? And apparently they make like children's games. They have a board game I found called, hold on, I have to get them in right. <laughs> We're not going to be playing it because it actually has mixed reviews. It doesn't look that great. Okay. Um, yeah. The Coping Skills Game Essential Real Life. That's the name of it. Okay. It's basically like they have these games out there that are meant to teach children healthy coping mechanisms. I also found a list of ways you can teach kids coping skills. Some of them are actually stuff that I have done in treatment, like make mm-hmm. your own stress ball. Yes. <laughs> and when I was in treatment for my bulimia, we did glitter jars. You would fill a jar with like water and glue and glitter. And okay. it, I don't know. It was really cool. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is what? this is actually, I feel like a very simplified coping thing because what what you reminded me of is these kids that I babysat for if one of them you know like fell down or like got hurt somehow because one of them you know like got hurt sometime when I was watching them and immediately said I need a squishy and I was like what's a squishy (laughs) and luckily the other kid taught me that that's what they called a ziploc bag that they would fill with ice and some water so it was kind of like squashy and put um different food coloring in it to make it like pretty to them and that's what they call their squishy (laughs) but that's what i think i'm like that's a very simplified like the kid is hurt and this helps make them feel better yeah ice pack has a color to it (laughs) yeah i brought up the games because i think it's just so cool that People are trying now like to I, th- I think there is more of a conversation about this. Um, but yeah, I think it's cool that they have these for kids. This is not the pickle palette cleanser, but I found this <laughs> website that is a coping mechanism generator. Okay. So it, it's perchance.org slash cope. Perchance. Well, can't type. Perchance.org slash cope. So you go to this generator and it says, like, feeling bad? Have you tried laying on the floor? And then yeah, you hit the randomize button, and it brings mm-hmm. up a totally new one. Feeling <laughs> bad? Oh, God. Have you tried praying? Oh, dear. <laughs> so I, I thought it was really funny, and I wanted to see, like, what some of the ones you get are. Um, my first one, I feel like, is actually very good. Have you tried drinking some water? Oh, dude, for real, though. Sometimes you literally do need to get your biology under control. And that's the reason you're feeling bad. Like, I think Mm -hmm. we create a lot of these coping mechanisms to address some sort of imbalance. Like, maybe we're dehydrated or something. Or we're not getting enough nutrition, hint, hint. And, um, like, no wonder we feel shitty. So, like, sometimes it is as simple as just drinking some fucking water. That's a really good one because the more I learned, the more I found out that just feeling thirsty is not the only way to know you're dehydrated. Like, it affects so many things. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I just got the water one too. Okay. That one's nice. It says, feeling bad. Have you tried coloring online? And then they actually give you um, a link. So oh, that that's you can so probably cool. Find... Like, that's cute. Feeling bad. Have you tried taking a shower? I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do that right after this. And I know it'll make me feel better. I got praying too. <laughs> yeah. So this website is like... Oh, oh, oh. Feeling bad. Have you tried petting a puppy? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I love that one. Excellent. 10 out of 10 coping mechanism. Yep. <laughs> So that's an example of some of the tools that are out there. I think half of the battle is honestly just like finding coping mechanisms that are genuinely interesting to you that you would actually do. Because how many times have we all heard like, try meditating? Light a candle. Yeah. And like, (laughs) I never want to meditate. I'm sorry. Like, I never feel like I have the time to sit and like quiet down my thoughts. Like, Mm -hmm. I need to take drugs just to be able to medicate. Or meditate. (laughs) but yeah like so i thought it would be cool before we jump into the pickle palette cleanser to just like talk about some of the coping mechanisms that we've been using this week like good or bad and just maybe make a plan for some that we could use next week what have i been doing this week i have one that's kind of silly mm-hmm. so my workplace is currently stressing me out a lot and mm-hmm. one of my coping mechanisms for that is just not eating while I'm at work. Oh, that sounds smart. Yeah, it's obviously, <laughs> it's a very deep 
coping mechanism. Like I've been using it for a while and I know it doesn't work and I know it Mm -hmm. just makes me in a more bad mood and, you know, makes me vulnerable to other things. And so one of my coping mechanisms for this week is to bring a bag of goldfish to work because Uh I was at 7-Eleven getting vapes of all things and I saw a bag of (laughs) goldfish and my inner child was just like, mine, I need that now. And so I keep a fucking bag of goldfish at my desk. And if I feel too overwhelmed to eat like, quote unquote, real food, I'll just like have some goldfish. And it's actually been helping me a lot this week. I realized that like the more I snack throughout the day, like I'll actually feel like in a better mood mm-hmm. and I won't be as likely to make you know bad choices later on. Like I'll come home starving and then eat everything and then feel yeah. even worse than I did before. Like things like and- that. And also because goldfish are the snack that smiles back until you bite their heads off. (laughs) (laughs) That used to be their theme song. I think it was very brief. The snack that smiles back. Goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so if you have anger issues, maybe goldfish could also be a a positive coping mechanism. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) It's like sanctioned violence. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Also, I did put vaping as a positive coping mechanism for this week because I am trash, as we've established. Yeah, I also put it as a positive coping mechanism because, again, I could do a lot worse things. Yeah, harm reduction, baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about you? What are some things that you've been doing this week? Like we said earlier, I am actually not getting terrible weather here. I am getting beautiful weather because humidity went away and we're like highs of like 70, but it's also been like bright, sunny and nice every day. So I've been going back to one of my favorite coping mechanisms, which is just to put something in my ears, a new playlist or podcast I like, and just walk and just let myself lose myself in all of that sometimes because there's this like trail that goes near me. And sometimes I go on like little like meandering trails off and explore and just be like, what's out here? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great coping mechanism. Yeah, I love it, but I've just I I have no patience for being too hot and sweating, so I don't do very much of that in the summer because it's just too damn sticky hot. And again, it just depends on the person because I know a lot of people who like exercise is an unhealthy coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like you and I, I feel like have been in that category before. Yeah. <laughs> so it just depends on like how you approach it, I guess. When I'm doing something like this, then yeah, it's going out without a step counter, without saying I have to do this many minutes or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's just saying, like, let's explore. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little path. Are those people actually living in a tent in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> I did find that once. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think ultimately just remember that whatever coping mechanisms that you have are there for a reason. You didn't just mm-hmm. make them up out of thin air. Okay, so for the pickle palate cleanser today... Mm-hmm. I want to do an exercise that I learned in treatment. It is oh kind of related to mental health and like kind of related to coping mechanisms, but it's also mm-hmm. really fun. Okay. Um, so this exercise is called Imaginary Lives. Ooh, I already like it. I have so many. I did this exercise with my uh, mom and my sisters on Zoom when I was in treatment and they loved it. <laughs> so I asked you to bring a paper and a pen beforehand because you are going to mm-hmm. be making a list. Oh, boy. So first off, I'm going to have you write down a list of 25 things that you either want to be or you have wanted to be in the past. Now, I'm not talking about jobs strictly. Okay. I'm talking about like when you were a kid and you wanted to be a puppy or like you wanted to be a cloud or Mm -hmm. any sort of thing you can think of. Like I have a best friend on my list. I have um, nothing. I've never existed. (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that so just without really thinking about it too hard just write a list of 25 things that you either want to be or you have wanted to be in the past okay and at the end I'll read what I I didn't do it over again because we don't have time but I'll read you my answers from 2021 okay elevator music honestly it doesn't have to be 25 exactly that's just the number that I have. But. Okay, we'll go with 24. Yeah, 24 is fine. Okay, so Lauren, what are the things that you want to be or have wanted to be? Musician, artist, ballerina, dog trainer, a horse. Ooh, I have that too. That's number one on my list. <laughs> a model, a fashion designer, a trophy wife, <laughs> successful on Etsy, <laughs> pretty, 
prom queen. This one has a funny, funny story about it. McDonald's drive-thru worker. Oh, that's surprising. <laughs> I aim high. <laughs> this is when I was like seven, just so you know. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. A college student, a computer genius, a jewelry designer, a farmer, an ethical dog breeder, basically just because I want to always be surrounded by puppies. Yeah. I didn't want to be horrible. That's a good um, one. An author, a drug dealer, <laughs> skinny, disgustingly skinny, huh. living in a hotel, famous for anything, or a CEO. Those are really good. Okay, I'll read you the ones <laughs> that I had real quick. Uh, I think you'll find we have a lot in common. Uh, a horse. A sled dog, <laughs> well, yes. a therapist, a memoirist, a famous mm-hmm. artist, mm-hmm. a magazine columnist, a food blogger with recovery focus, a substance abuse counselor, a bus driver, a motorcycle mechanic, a nomad, a chronic addict, <laughs> a pianist, a web designer, a nice. copywriter, a best friend, a barista, an editor, nothing. I've never existed. <laughs> Uh, a hawk, a dragon, <laughs> a fantasy author, a professor, a full-time podcaster, or a radio host. So those are the things I came up with. I think we had a lot in common. I also d- I have 25 because I did tack on at the end. Um, I remember for a while I wanted to be like a CDL truck driver. I just oh. thought that sounded like such a relaxing job. Dude, right? You just get to drive around all day? I thought about exactly. it. Exactly. I was like, listen to whatever you want and just drive. That's why I put bus driver. Really well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now... Which five things can you not cross off or spark the most joy? Again, there's no right or wrong answers. Like, what things can you just not stand to cross off? I say, I'm just going down and making check marks. Yeah, that's what I did. I have musician, the the ethical dog breeder, again, because I would always want to be surrounded by puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, An author, successful on Etsy, and I could not leave off pretty. Of course. I think we'd all be lying if we said we didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my five things that I couldn't do without were a memoirist, a substance abuse counselor, a motorcycle mechanic, a best friend, and an editor. Nice. So now, what do your top five have in common? And this is a harder question to answer. Um, I can just tell you that what I have. So my five mm-hmm. have in common uh, variety. There's a lot of differences between them. Uh, empathy a lot of them have to do with like human services practicality to an extent uh, human connection freedom and flexibility so i'm curious if you can find Um, like what ways that your five have in common i would say most of them i feel like hit on creativity they all are things that i just feel like innately would make me happy and i feel like they're all things that provide some sort of comfort why do you say they would make you happy yeah, it's, it's kind of just like the, the general act, like musician. I'm like, playing music makes me happy. The dog breeder, of course, because I, I keep saying, surrounded by puppies makes yes. me happy. <laughs> and pretty. That just yeah. makes me feel good. It makes life easier, at least. Mm, yeah. And then the same thing I felt, no, I say the same thing I felt like with comfort is, yeah, like playing music is comforting. Writing is comforting. I, I imagine being successful on Etsy would involve like fun little craft things that are kind of a comfort. <laughs> So basically, like, things that make you happy, that make you feel good, and things that make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and creative, obviously. Things that make you feel yes. like you're creating something. That was a big one for me. Yeah, I know that's necessary in my life. <laughs> so the last step of this exercise is taking those five things, seeing what they have in common, and then thinking of ways that you can incorporate elements of these imaginary lives into your day-to-day life. So, for instance, for me, I found out that I needed variety, empathy, like freedom, flexibility, and human connection. So the ways that I wrote down to incorporate them into my life was um, documenting my experiences. You know, this podcast Mm -hmm. is huge for that. Gathering others' stories, becoming a better listener, using more time for loved ones, uh, curating my life, which I put an explanation point afterward, but I didn't elaborate on. And then watching YouTube videos to inspire and learn new skills. What about you? Oh, <laughs> I know it's it, this is a, like a thinker for sure. Yeah, that's a hard part to answer. Um, Bonus therapy session. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> what, what exactly? How, how exactly did you word that last question? How can you take the five things from that list and incorporate elements of them into your day to day life? 
So like, obviously you're not going to become a dog breeder, an ethical dog breeder overnight, you know, like. It, it, no. And so like, what are some ways you can take that and incorporate elements of it into your day-to-day life? Um, like it could be just like loving on Pico or, you know, volunteering at a yeah. shelter once a month or something like that. I was going to say some something that I don't know if it would be as... Um, as easy to come by as it was when I used to do this, but I do feel like it was me, yeah, like doing exactly that. One of the places where I worked in Chicago, then two blocks away, there was the Anti-Cruel Society Animal Shelter. I would do that usually at least once a week on my lunch break. I would just go in, I'd sign in, be like, just looking, and I would just look at all of the, the cats and dogs there. Yeah, that's a great example. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it made me feel less terrible because I did know that they were a no-kill shelter. So I didn't yeah. have to, I felt a little bad about them all in their cages, but I'm like, well, at least I know that, yeah. What were some of the other ones on your list? Successful on Etsy. Yeah. I just think of that. Being successful on Etsy, like I've tried it. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so much work. But if you know that's something you want, like being creative makes you happy, maybe it's just setting aside, tw- you know. Yeah, because I feel like the more important thing of that was kind of like the creative side, just like finding something. And I've picked up little crafts and stuff every once in a while. And no, I'm probably not going to have the dedication to be a famous Etsy-er. But right. <laughs> I just like find something I like and I instead just like make little gifts for my friends. Yes. Oh my God. That is a huge one for me too. I love it when Christmas time comes around because I can make stupid little crafts for people and it makes me happy and it makes them happy. Yeah. When when I was young, actually, that I remember I used to do cross-stitching like my, my grandma taught me how. Oh yeah. That's making a comeback. Yeah. Sometime recently I thought of that and then I found patterns for like the typical like lovely flowery sample cross-stitch, but um but I found patterns for ones that also say in the middle things like try not to murder anyone today or please don't do coke in the bathroom. <laughs> I think it's your calling. Yep. No, dude, cross-stitchers are in huge demand right now. Maybe it can become a new coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was uh, the Imaginary Lives exercise. I know it wasn't like a traditional palate cleanser like we've had before, but it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's pickles <laughs> and vodka. Um, we hope everyone enjoyed and can maybe pick up a little, a few more coping mechanisms this week. We're we're trying not to lose our connection desperately, so I can't give you my usual rambling promotion. I'm just gonna say I haven't read an interview yet. Get on it. You mean a review? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I haven't read a review yet. Get on it. Yes, get <laughs> you on may the cut review. out the screw up. <laughs> Yes, leave us reviews, leave us comments, and send us voicemails or messages for our 100th episode, and we'll read them in just a few weeks. So close. Yes. Yes. All right. I hope everyone has a good week. Bye. Bye.